0: to the throne. It needs, indeed, an eloquent flow like a cataract. But alas, my voice has broken in my song of the stone drums to a sound of supplication choked with its own tears. rti at english.rti.org.tw What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he
1: curious about today?
0: The Rugged Jiu-Fun area along Taiwan's north coast is steeped in gold. For decades, the chance to make a fortune overnight was real there. People drawn in by Jiu-Fun's mines built a glittering mountainside boomtown overlooking the sea. Today, tourists interested in gold often head down the road to neighboring jin for a look at an excellent government-run gold museum. But while close by, jiu and its gold mines have a different character and a different story to tell. In a converted house, the family of one Fun miner has built the Fun Gold Ore Museum, a gold museum of their own where they can tell Fun's story. Over the next two weeks, third-generation curator Zeng Yixian will be joining us for a look at her town's golden past and at her family's mining heritage. Ms. Zeng says that legends of gold on Taiwan go back centuries. She says old Chinese tales suggest gold on an island that may have been Taiwan. In the 17th century, Spanish colonizers came to northern Taiwan, heard about gold, and set about actually looking for it. The motherlode they may have been imagining never turned up. 1889... But in 1889, the gold finally showed itself, not far from jiu It was late in the era of imperial Chinese rule over Taiwan, and the island's first railroad was under construction. Most of the workers just happened to be veteran miners and prospectors who'd come to Taiwan after stints in the gold fields of California and Australia. They liked what they saw and set to panning. But these were just little pieces of gold, It must have come from somewhere upstream, maybe somewhere with big deposits waiting to be found. Two years later, searches bore fruit. Taiwan's north really was a golden land. Large-scale mining, however, only began in the area after 1895. That was the year when Japan took control of Taiwan. Although Jiu-Fen and Jin-Gua are right next to each other, the differences between them quickly stood out as land was divvied up between different mining companies. Jin-Gua down the road proved suitable for large-scale mining, but the gold seams in jiu had an uneven distribution, and the search for gold there had to be done by hand. By around 1914, it seemed to the Japanese company in Jiu-Fen that there wasn't much more gold to be found there. And so, the company made a fateful decision. It handed the management of the mines to a local Taiwanese company. Here, the stories of Jou Fun and Jin Gua diverge. The new company worked out a scheme that made Jou Fun a place where anyone could strike it rich. Here's how it worked. So
2: if you're lucky, if you money,
0: anyone with the right kind of money could rent out mining rights in Jou Fun. The renters would then hire miners to go see what they could dig up. In the end, everyone, miners, renters, and the company owning the land could walk away with some gold, split according to fixed percentages. Of course, how much gold everyone got depended on how much they found.
2: So, actually so, to to...
0: For the company owning the land, this wasn't such a big deal. They could always walk away with at least the rental fee. But renting the land and signing up to mine it were big gambles. After weeks of labor, your reward might be a pittance, or nothing at all. But still, you might also strike it rich. Those miners down the road in Shi worked for a steady salary, but few of them were going anywhere. People flocked to Jifun, and with fortunes to be made, they worked hard..
2: 甚至有一年哦,
0: Though searching for gold in Jiu Fen had to be done methodically by hand, there was even one year when they managed to outproduce the more mechanized Jing At Jiu Fen's peak, 20,000 to 30,000 people lived there. Some were chasing their dreams of gold, but others among them saw different ways to make a fortune. Ways like feeding, clothing, and supplying the gold rush crowd. Businesses for every need sprang up, forming what's now a popular tourist attraction, Jiu-Fen's Old Street. Ms. Zheng says not everyone knows that it was gold that made this street possible. Along with the practical markets and shops, a glittering world of bars and entertainment also came to town. It was said of Jiu-Fen that it had a lot of three things gold, drinking establishments, and unsavory characters. All of this was fueled by people who'd had a good day in the mines. On good days, people splashed cash around. Or not cash, really. Older people have told Miss Zhang that those who carried actual money around were laughed at. Bills were settled and tips paid in real chunks of gold ore a carefree attitude towards money developed. After a hard day, people just wanted to relax in style. They imagined they could always make up what they'd spent the next day, and sometimes they really could. Jiu-Fan was an electrified town, literally so. Early in the 20th century, Taiwan society was still a rural agricultural one. It took time for a power grid to emerge and for electricity to spread. But Ms. Deng says, Jiu-Fen had a power plant nearby as early as 1907, built to help power mining operations. But the town got power too, and Jiu-Fen had the kind of nighttime glow that back then was unusual outside big cities. The lights were so special that people took to calling Joe Fun Little Shanghai and Little Hong Kong. The view must have been impressive, especially from the sea below. The good times resumed after World War II, when Japanese rule ended. The new Republic of China governments nationalized companies with more than 50% Japanese capital. The company behind the Fun mines did have sizable Japanese investment, but it fell below 50%, and so the mines could keep running as they had. All comers still had a chance at a glittering future. Gradually, though, the amount of glitter Fun's mines could offer began to fall. In the 1960s, gold began to run out, and in the end, there came a point when gold was still there to be had, but those who put the money in to mine it got dwindling returns on their investments. People started giving up on Jofun's mines, and around 1970, they were finally shuttered. With the basis of the economy gone, working people abandoned Jofun. The town withered, And for around 20 years, senior citizens and small children were the only people still living there. Then, in the 1990s, directors and film producers discovered the town. And when their movies and TV dramas brought tourists with them, jiu Fen's fortunes started to make a comeback. Ms. Zeng's grandfather worked as a Jiu-Fun miner through the boom years, and he witnessed both the town's decline and its rebirth. Next week, Ms. Zheng will be back with us to tell us about this miner, a man who made it his life's mission to build a museum that could guard the memory of the mines. She'll also tell us about a promise to her grandfather that she's kept and about all the museum's exhibits, each one just as her grandfather left it. There are a few surprises as well as memories in this museum. Did you know, for instance, that Zhou Fen's gold comes out of the grounds completely black all that glitters may not be gold, but as it turns out, the opposite is just as true. I'm very curious to find out what that's all about. Join us again next week as we return to the Jofun Gold Ore Museum. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next time. From a fruit market
3: in Tel Aviv to a fish cellar in Taipei, the people of our world are working hard to make a living. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International.
1: Well, I think Westerners, they they tend to feel at ease about, you know, just um, being comfortable with the way
4: they, they they
1: they're they're used to right and not having to conform to the trend here. But I'm sure they they're noticing things like that. You know, it's funny. Um, lately, um, there's this thing about honey lemonade. Oh, I, <laughs> I, see <laughs> I see that. You know, with one of our you know um, election candidates, I think maybe a city council candidate, I forgot. Him. But um, you know, since then, it's just been like on the subject, in the news and everything, ev- everywhere, and people just talking about it. Someone uh, from a, well, actually this is a different, for a different show that I, that I did, my music show, rather. Chupas Republic, right? Yes, Chupas Republic. Um, he, you know, this band, um, uh, one of the members of the band, uh, he just arrived in Taipei, and um, he was told to drink, Honey lemonade, and he showed himself in Facebook with a honey lemonade in hand. You know, I was like, "Wow, that was quick!" <laughs> right? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Imagine all the little cultural nippets that foreign nationals have to get used to. Right. And that must have been quite an adventure.
1: I think they find it funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, just I, kind of laugh along. Yeah. I think it's
4: amusement for most of them most right, of the time. Right. That was me and Shirley talking. Shirley is my colleague and friend here at RTI. And she is the voice behind Jukebox Republic, a show that focuses on music of different themes and In the Spotlight, a show that we've been talking about. It is a weekly radio show in which Shirley interviews guests who are currently living in Taiwan, whether they are incoming foreign nationals or returning expatriates. And uh, Shirley have them here to share their experience living in Taiwan including all the pleasantries as well as some of the difficulties and challenges that people have encountered through their years here. In the last few weeks, Shirley has shared a lot of interesting and memorable moments that she had experienced on her show, including some of the fun stories and anecdotes that her guests have uh, shared with her uh, many, many times in the studio, as well as some of the more surprising facts, such as when her guest surprised her, a Taiwanese native, with places and people they meet around Taiwan, which is new to her. And she also shared with us some of the more realistic elements about living in Taiwan. This is something that we don't often see on TV programs or hear in radio shows, which is how foreign nationals and returning expatriates deal with culture shock, some of the challenges about living here and working here because how you are expected to act and to work uh, in Taiwan and in Asia in general is quite different uh, for those coming from the Western world. That was a very interesting and insightful talk, and uh, anyone who missed that, please uh, listen to some of the previous episodes. So uh, we're about to wrap up the mini series. and one thing that I can't wait to ask Shirley is what changes and improvements does she plan to make for her show and uh, where she wants to take the show in the future?
1: Well, I just say my husband always thinks I'm really great at doing interviews, and you are. I, yeah, I, I don't know, I just uh, you know kind of that connection with my guests once we are on air, but of course I chat with them you know beforehand before we actually do the interview, and they just become friends you know, and um, um, I, where I want to go from here, um. I think uh, I'm gonna do more video interviews. Although, of course, you know, actually radio interviews are so much easier. You don't have to put on makeup, you don't have to dress right, and you know, you don't have to, make, you know, like reserve the film studio and all that kind of stuff, or even like make an appointment to go to their place. But, but of course, everything is not visual nowadays. You know, everybody is watching videos and YouTubes and everything, so I, 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 I should, and I think, well, actually I should say my husband, enjoys doing, you know, videotaping my interviews, so um, I'd say, you know, I'll say, hey, honey, you know, I'm going to have an interview with so-and-so who I think might be interesting, and say, that's it, we're making a date, I'm coming, and actually, he'll bring my son along, too, because he's studying film, so there'll be two of them on my camera crew, and then we'll go off wherever the person that we're going to interview, and go to their home or whatever. So far, um, I think we've done one with my, I mean, with my husband and my son. One was at a restaurant another was someone's home. Yeah. So, I don't have one plan yet so far, but um, but uh, well, I mean, you know how it is. The editing part is the hard part, right? So, and I leave all that work to my husband so, um, you know, I'll let him take his time. Wait until he's done with the second editing, then I'll, you know, i plan another interview down the road, I guess.
4: And it is not just in the spotlight. The entire RTI, including us here at the English Service, are aiming to bring more video-centric content to you, the listeners, or shall I say the viewers, in the future. So please stay tuned, and we'll update you with any changes and improvements that we make. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Jake Chen.
0: Okay, hey Ellen!
3: Pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West.
0: Welcome. Welcome.
4: Welcome.
3: Welcome.先生，请问你们几位？两位。
5: Hello, welcome to The Feast, and this is Ellen Chu.
3: And this is Andrew Ryan. How are Hi, you doing today, Ellen Chu? I'm doing Chu? just
5: fine.
3: I'm so glad to hear that, Ms. Right? Chu.
5: So, today mm. is entering December, and it's mid-December. And so, at this, you know, time of the year, people are preparing for Christmas.
3: That's right, and some people are mm-hmm. also preparing for a different kind of celebration, you know. A couple saturdays ago, actually, Ellen Chu. Mm-hmm. I heard some chattering outside of my window really? at home, so I went onto the balcony. <laughs> Do you
5: live in the first floor?
3: <laughs> I live in the third floor, okay. but we keep our windows open so because okay. it's nice and cool now. Okay. So I could hear people like chattering outside my house, and I was like, "What is going on?" Uh-huh. So I went outside, and this Ellen Chu. This is what I heard. I mm-hmm. recorded the sound. You can have a little listen in the background so what do you think that was Alan Chu
5: machine gun no (laughs) (laughs) what
3: That's an excellent guess, Ellen Chu. Good. That is the sound of firecrackers. Wow. Yeah. But we're
5: not allowed to have firecrackers now.
3: Oh, are you sure about that? Yeah. I live in New Taipei City. Okay. So maybe we are.
5: (laughs) Okay. So in your part of the town, I guess, you know, it's allowed, right?
3: Well, you know, and it's... It's, it's a little out of the way. So maybe they can get away with doing something you're not supposed to be doing.
5: In the city, people play recorder.
3: Oh, right, right. So you would still hear the sound, but you wouldn't have the smell of the, the firecracker. firecrackers. Right. And... Actually, you know what? To be honest, I don't really I didn't see the firecrackers. Although, 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 I will say this, you can hear at the beginning of the recording, there's a grandma, and she's like, Mimi, Mimi, Mimi. Oh, you can tell she's uh-huh. like telling her little granddaughter not to get too close. Oh, okay. So, I bet they're real firecrackers. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, do you know what that was for?
5: It was for
3: not Chinese New Year,
5: <laughs> it was for a store opening,
3: not beneath my house. Good guess, though wedding yes that's okay. right it was for a wedding mm. and you know why they use firecrackers at a wedding
5: um well for for Chinese new Year scare away the monster the yes. okay but for I guess for people to catch attention that the bride is here
3: I think that's exactly what it right? is yeah mm-hmm. so everybody's like oh, someone's getting married. Mm-hmm. And so then everybody does what I did and they go out on their porch or their balconies and have a look and see what's going on.
5: Great. Right.
3: Yeah. So that's firecrackers. Mm. Um, now, what I think is interesting is is that at this time of the year, mm. there's actually a very popular month for getting married in Taiwan.
5: Oh, really? I, I got married weddings. in December.
3: You did? What, I... was the, what was the day? Was it December 26?
5: It was Christmas
3: Sixth, Eve. It was Christmas Eve, 24th.
5: Yeah, you were there. I was and definitely you don't there. Remember.
3: No, I remember it being around Christmas. Right.
5: So it was Christmas Eve.
3: Christmas Eve. Right. I remember it was at the Grand Hyatt. Mhm. And the mayor of Taipei was there.
5: He was actually our president was, later on. Yeah,
3: he became president. Right. And it was a huge event. It was the event of the year.
5: I guess. <laughs> at, that, at that time, yeah.
3: And so what's interesting is um, there's a very good reason why December is a very popular month for getting married. Mm-hmm. And that is because October, November, December, January mm-hmm. are really popular times of the year to get married. Because what they say is...
5: Exactly. To marry and bring home a wife is actually... You know, good luck and prosperity for going through the celebration of Chinese New Year.
3: Exactly. Exactly. So mm-hmm. so it's nice to bring a, your new bride home mm-hmm. to meet the family right. at Chinese New Year time. Do you, I'm sure you p- chose your day because of the Chinese Farmer's no, Almanac. No,
5: actually, I chose Christmas Eve first. And uh-huh. then my colleague, my agent, he actually took out the Chinese you know, Almanac. Uh-huh. and check he's like oh it is a good day Whew. so let's pick it <laughs> so i yeah. actually chose christmas eve
3: well good for you right. good thing it was a good day that year i know was it a weekend
5: i think so i think it was a friday or something friday
3: i think it was yeah
5: because
3: well. i remember going there after work maybe even yeah with francis uh-huh the two of us together right hot date
5: exactly <laughs> wow that was like Sixteen years ago.
3: Oh my goodness, Ellen Chu. Sixteen years ago.
5: Oh my sixteen years of youth. Oh
3: you don't look any different than you did that day. Oh, thank you. You're amazing. That was sweet. <laughs> All right, let's fast forward into All our next All right. Menu. <laughs>
5: In our first course, we'll chat a little bit about some of our experiences hosting weddings. All right.
3: In our second course, I'm going to head up into the mountains of Shinju County to sample a traditional Atayal tribe soup that's associated with weddings. Mm. Mm.
5: In our third and final course, we'll be sampling Chinese wedding cake, sheeping.
3: Plus, we're gonna tell you why some people say it's unlucky for the bride to eat those cakes.
5: Really? That's not oh, fair. Oh, I know. They just won't let the girls eat it.
3: Seriously, not fair at all. Anyway,
5: we're gonna go through a first song. It's called Eloping to the Moon, <laughs> and it's by Mayday, 五月天,
2: <laughs> 你才是 First course. Okay.
5: So, in the first course, we will be talking about some of the interesting stuff about wedding.
3: That's right. Ellen Chu, you have not only gotten married yourself, you have also hosted a lot of weddings in your yes, career.
5: Definitely. So, what do you want to know?
3: I want to know everything you know, Ellen Chu. What
5: do you mean? <laughs> okay.
3: So, full disclosure, I actually hosted two weddings this year. One mm-hmm. was for the daughter of our former chairwoman of RCI, mm-hmm. and one was for my co-host, Sheen Ting, for a TV show mm. that I host. And it was my first time... Well, no, it wasn't my first time hosting weddings, but it was my first time hosting a big wedding Okay, with the former president, who the same guy that was at your wedding, Ellen Chu. Really? Yeah, he okay. was there as well. What's your favorite moment of any wedding that you've ever seen? Anything special that happened or really unusual or...
5: One time, it was really emotional when uh, this this groom, he made a speech because the bride is single parent. Mm-hmm. And the groom, uh, actually, during his speech, walked up to the mom mm. and saying that, you know, thank you for handing over this beautiful daughter and taught her well. And don't worry, you're not losing a daughter, you know. Like, I will take care of you,
3: Mm. you know, forever
5: as my mother.
3: Not losing a daughter, you're gaining a son. Right.
5: Mm. So, basically, he will be taking you know, taking care of the mother too.
3: Mm. So the
5: mother was like really in tears. It's like, you know, I know you guys are inseparable. You know, don't worry. I'm not taking your daughter away. You know, you and you know, I would invite my mother-in-law to live with us.
3: Oh, that's beautiful.
5: Yeah. That's you know, really I think, you know, a lot of the guys will be thinking, what are you saying? Mother-in-law <laughs> living with you guys. But you know, I guess it shows how much the groom really loves the girl.
3: Were you, were you hosting or were you a guest?
5: I was hosting.
3: Were you like... Tearing up?
5: Yeah. Because, you know, I think that is a really big gesture, you Mm. know, to be able to say that in like more than 100 people sitting there. Yeah. You know, and it's huge. And, you know, offering the mother-in-law, you know, something that he would take care of the daughter and her forever.
3: You know, the bride is like, I picked the right guy.
5: Right. (laughs) Right. You know, I think, you know, that is the moment. And one of the uh, biggest uh, wedding that I ever hosted was that they decorated the entire wedding banquet into a jungle.
3: What? Yes. Whoa. With like trees and stuff? With trees.
5: And they had these elephant giraffe and bird a whole animal kingdom made out of like flowers
3: wow must have been beautiful it
5: was beautiful
3: must have cost a bit of money yeah
5: Mm. and i remember it was in the meridian so it was the entire floor was like you know was booked and then from the entrance all the way to inside they had like a, a beautiful kind of like altar like you know look it had flower it had like lace it was just like you know you walked into a
3: gazebo yeah
5: a movie
3: wow why did they do that were they did they did they meet in a jungle
5: no they just felt that you know the whole atmosphere has to be like in nature
3: did they dress up as tarzan and jane (laughs) what'd you wear did you dress up like a gorilla
5: no we wore like you know formal wear formal gown
3: wow 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 my most memorable wedding was the very first wedding I went to in Taiwan. It was an outdoor wedding in the countryside. Wow. And? And they had strippers.
5: Oh, that is very traditional too. <laughs>
3: Super traditional. In the
5: countryside. Yeah. Wow. I was
3: like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. In a
5: wedding. I in wonder a wedding, yeah. What, you know, where and why?
3: I. It's, it's so unusual. Like, I just don't even, I didn't even know how to wrap my head around it.
5: It's like people should have their attention on the bride, right?
3: Well, to be fair, they didn't. Like, go all the way down to nothing, right? So, there was then, still some modesty then, left.
5: Then why?
3: <laughs> well, they do it at funerals, too.
5: Right. So, <laughs> why? Maybe, like, the person who passed away liked strippers. Right. Okay. Entertaining. Right. right. Yeah. But for... I don't know. To entertain your guests?
3: I don't know. I don't, don't know. know. The other one that I thought was really interesting is that uh, I saw a wedding where the bride didn't have parents. mm and then the groom had only the father there, and the father had become a monk. Oh. so the only parent on stage was a monk.
5: I hosted a wedding where <laughs> you know the mother has become a, a monk. Buddhist, a Buddhist like a
3: Buddhist nun, nun, right? I guess you say master, Buddhist master, right?
5: right. Buddhist master, mm-hmm. and she was like high in power too.
4: Wow, wow,
5: and you know the. The son actually got married and you know, the people there were the vice presidents <laughs> and politicians.
3: Amazing. I think for me my most memorable one was my co host Shinting when he got married because he's not
5: my wedding? No,
3: I mean aside <laughs> from your wedding. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he's blind, right? right? So and a lot of the people that came to the wedding were also blind. So a lot of my dis- like my lines or my narration you have to
5: was guide him to, to to witness it yes so i would
3: have to describe exactly what the bride Mm -hmm. is wearing what she looks like what the hall looks like and that added a level of complexity but i think it was interesting for people even if they were sighted to see Mm. with new eyes and experience it as a blind person would experience it
5: wow yeah well i also hosted one event uh wedding that was in uh the grand hotel Mm. the big wedding too and one of the relatives went out and made a speech but he was a opera singer
3: wow so he started to sing wow
5: one song so that was like on the program mhm uh-huh. and then he wouldn't get off <laughs> And then what
3: do you do? How do you tell him to stop? I
5: had to go up, and I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, Uncle Fred for being here. You know, it was lovely. That song was lovely. He's an opera singer. Give him a big round of applause. Did and you cut him off? I said give him a round of applause, okay? Supposed to start to think how I'm going to cut him off. And then he started to talk.
3: Oh, no. He said...
5: Oh, beautiful host! I know that your job is to cut me off, but, you know, I am 89 years old. Uh, so if you <laughs> cut me off, this might be the last time I stand on stage and sing and perform in so much in front of this many people. So
3: what did you do? And you just let so her go.
5: Don't cut me. So <laughs> I'm going to sing three more songs <laughs> because my lovely niece is getting married. I'm so happy. Oh, no. And then you see the bride's like
3: no 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 doing sign language forget him right. Off stage.
5: right so you but know, i think
3: at that point i think the bride has to help right
5: no and then so i said okay and then you know i was looking at the bride but he said you know so i need to sing so he demanded that he was gonna and then he had no music and he started to sing a cappella. oh no and then the bride started crying.
3: Oh, no. Like She
5: cried.
3: Like happy or not happy?
5: Not happy.
3: <laughs> oh, no. She was so
5: upset, you know. So we ran into the back room, and he was still singing. He's like, yo, he ruined my wedding.
3: Oh, no. Yeah. How'd you get him off stage in the end?
5: No, I had to let him finish his songs, you know, oh. because one of the other elder came up and said, you know, if he says so, then just let him sing. <laughs>
3: How long did it last? Three songs. (laughs) That's like 15 minutes. Yeah. More than 15,
5: I think. That was scary, huh? Yeah. So the bride, she took like a 15 to 20 minute break crying in the back room.
3: Oh, on her wedding day. Yeah. But that's actually good luck. For the, really to, for the bride to cry really
5: she was really <laughs> crying
3: <laughs> okay so maybe you shouldn't be crying about like and you know bad stuff <laughs> it's like
5: 10 years later my daughter and her son became classmates
3: oh wow isn't that interesting wow she
5: walked in she said do you remember me i'm like she said i gained weight <laughs> i was a crying bride i'm just like oh, oh yeah
3: so she didn't blame you no all right, we're going to go into a song, and this is actually one of the songs. It's on the top 10 list for best songs to play at a wedding, and it it's called All of Me by John Legend, and it is a great song.
5: Okay, so let's immerse ourselves into this beautiful song, All of Me.
3: When we come back in a moment in our second course, I'm going to head up into the mountains for a traditional Atal tribe wedding food
2: item. And I'm so dizzy Don't know what hit me But I'll be alright My head Actions. give you all...
4: Second
5: course.
3: We're back on the second course in today's Feast Meets West, and I want you to picture the setting. We're up in the mountains of Jianshi Township in Shinju County, northern Taiwan. It's a rainy Saturday afternoon in Nalo, which is an Atayal tribe village. We're at my friend Yao's house, sitting at a table on her front porch. Her neighbor, Amui, has just brought over some soup, which she says has something to do with a wedding. I ask Yao Wu to introduce the soup.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's for an auspicious event, she says. They call it Ganga A young man has come to the village to ask for someone's hand in marriage. She says the guy presented the wife's family with some wild boars, which they slaughtered and then had the intestines made into a soup yahoo Wu says they slaughtered the boars early in the morning, and that her neighbor Amui went to help. <laughs> Yahoo says they do it in a way that's least painful for the boar. The groom's family gives the meat as a present to the bride's family. She says that the Han people, the majority culture in Taiwan, hand out cakes and cookies before a wedding, but in the aboriginal villages they also give out portions of meat. It's different in every tribe and every village, but usually it's the whole animal, multiple animals even. The woman's family makes a request based on the ability of the man's family. It could be beef, pork, or lamb. And today, Amui says the man's family gave 12 wild boars. But Amui says that sometimes the woman's family won't ask for anything at all, only asking that the man take good care of their daughter. But these matters have to be carefully discussed in order to ensure there's no bad blood between the two families. I'm curious to know if they slaughter the animals on the morning that they're presented to the woman's family. Amwe um, says that only one was slaughtered this morning. The rest were taken care of earlier and ready to be portioned out to give as gifts to the woman's family and the people in the village. And of course, if it's a big family, then everyone gets a small portion. If it's a small family, then everyone gets a lot. Our conversation turns to the bowl of clear soup with entrails sitting in front of me. Amui tells me that the female family members, herself included, cooked it up this morning. Amui says that they add rice wine to take away the gamey flavor of the offal. And by offal, I mean OFFAL. They also use ginger, pickled mustard greens, and salt. Now it's time for me to sample the soup. Yao yeah. <laughs> 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 <Yowu> says <laughs> I need to try it because it will bring me good luck and maybe I too can get married. <laughs> I'd say there's a fat chance of that happening anytime soon. She tells me to add a little bit of chili sauce to kick the flavor up a notch. Before I dig in, I ask which of the innards they actually put into the soup. Heart, liver, lungs. <laughs> That's a piece of lung in my bowl, says Amui. There's also large and small intestines, uterus, a little bit of everything. They ask my friend Shinting if he wants to try it, but nah, he says, Andrew's more Taiwanese than me. The flavor isn't too overpowering. They say the rice wine has helped to keep it under control. They tell me that serving the soup is a common practice in many indigenous tribes. Not like you flatlanders, says Yao. I get a kick out of that because she's subconsciously lumped me in together with the rest of the Taiwanese people. Um, Amui says that as soon as the animal is slaughtered, they remove the entrails. But the secret to a delicious soup lies in the way you wash the innards. You use salt, Coca-Cola or beer, and potato starch. Um, Amui asks if I've ever washed clothes before. I have. It's kind of like that, she says. (laughs) So you toss it in the washing machine, I joke? (laughs) No, you wash them by hand, she says. You scrub them a bit and then rinse them. Then you add more salt and other ingredients and repeat. If you don't want it to taste too gamey, then you need to do it three to four times. I tell them that the lung in my bowl doesn't seem to have too much flavor, which I think is a good thing. But Amui says the elders would definitely complain about that. Mm-hmm. Amwi goes to answer the phone and I continue eating my soup as instructed by Yao. She really thinks it's going to bring me good luck. I'm cool with that. My friend Catherine says if I eat it, maybe I'll end up getting married to someone right here in the village. And that's when I realized that it's a trap.
2: <laughs>
3: Yahoo tells me it's too late. I've already consumed the soup.
4: <laughs>
3: Third course.
5: Okay, so we're going to be talking about shipping
3: wedding cakes, and it looks right. nothing like a Western wedding cake.
5: It looks like a. Um, King's pie?
3: Yeah, it does oh. actually. It looks like a big round cookie. Right. Um, it's probably about the size of my head.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, it's a kind of a thick, uh, heavy disc. Mm-hmm. And it has. Kind uh, <laughs> of like your head. Like my a head. disc? Well, my head doesn't look like a disc. <laughs> uh, it's like a frisbee.
5: It's kind of like a huge flattened mooncake.
3: Yes, that is a great way to to, to put it. And it's got it's nicely browned on the outside. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, it has the double happiness character in the middle. She. And then it has the dragon, dragon and, and the a phoenix. phoenix, which are, I guess, symbolic of the bride and groom. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm going to cut into it. This is a pineapple version.
5: Oh. Which I, pineapple is not the traditional flavor. It's not. It's not. Usually, it should be like hongdou or... Uh, Don't they have like lotus zau. seed or yeah. like... Kind of uh, like the Yue Yeping,
3: yue yeah. Right. Like moon cake. Do you wanna try it? Okay. Is that too a big? little too wanna... big.
5: I'm just gonna like Okay. Take a little bite. Oh,
3: okay. Okay. And so it has a little bit of pineapple paste in the middle, like you would mm. find in a like a Taiwanese pineapple cake. Mm.
5: If you close your eyes and don't see the wedding cake, <laughs> you're just eating pineapple cake.
3: Right? I mean it looks very similar. It's the same concept. It has kind of like a thick crust.
5: But I don't know. There's a taste in there that doesn't taste like pineapple cake.
3: It tastes a little bit like winter melon. Dongguan, yeah. mm-hmm. which they often put in pineapple cakes. Really? Mm. Yeah, most pineapple cakes, unless it's like tofu-y, they would oh, have winter okay. melon in it to make it like less okay. tart.
5: All right. So over here it says sesame, okay? Mm. White sugar and white sesame. Those are the traditional type. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes
3: they do lotus seed ones as mm-hmm. well.
5: During the traditional wedding, it's given before the -hmm. wedding, okay?
3: And the bride's family will give it to the groom's Uh family, or what? How does that work?
5: It's the bride's family give it to all of the guests.
3: All of the guests, not just their own side, right? No, Mm -hmm. And
5: so basically, if the bride is giving out this cake, why can't the bride have it?
3: It says in traditional Chinese customs, they say that the the bride can't eat it because it's almost like it's the so it's like eating the happiness that's been given to herself
5: that you're not humble Mm -hmm. okay basically you're not really sharing it out well you're You're taking it back yeah you're greedy
3: and you're not going to get the full happiness out of your wedding and your special day But I think that's just mean. That's sexist. I
5: think so, too. (laughs) I think we should just ban this part.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think that that's true. I don't think that that means that you're greedy or you're...
5: I think it should be, you know, interpreted into like, you know, because the bride likes to eat this, too. Mm -hmm. So she would like to share the best... Yeah. With everyone else.
3: Well, I think she should get sweetened up and everybody else should get sweetened up, right. too. You know what I'm saying? Let's exactly. destroy the patriarchy, Ellen Chula. I
5: think so, too. <laughs> you know, it's in Feast Meet West, if we see something that ain't right, we correct it. Okay?
3: <laughs> I'm all for traditional culture, but I think that some things need to be updated. And I think this is I one of so. them.
5: I think so, too. Do
3: you think in this day and age that people really care whether or not the bride eats the, her own cakes or cookies?
5: I think some families do.
3: Like really traditional families. Really
5: traditional yeah. families, right.
3: Mm. Mm. Well, you know what? What? I support brides for eating whatever the heck they want on their exactly. wedding
5: day. It's her day. That's
3: right. It's
5: her big day.
3: No restrictions. Nope. She wants to eat, you know, this for her whole meal. That's fine.
5: I think so too. Go to town, girl. You go girl.
3: Did you for your wedding did you have wedding cakes like this or did you have Uh, Oh,
5: we had the Western cake. Mm -hmm. So basically we had a cake that was, you know, cut up on stage. But basically Was it it a real
3: cake? Only sometimes, only, yeah. Only
5: a quarter of it is real.
3: Yeah, they do that a lot. Or like sometimes if it's multi-tier, then right. only the bottom right. tier will but be real. Right, but they only
5: have like a quarter of it. It's real where you cut into it. Mm. So basically you can take that home. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have it.
3: Oh, no. I put it in the freezer. Oh. Right?
5: Isn't the Western culture supposed to freeze it?
3: I guess so. Yeah. And then you didn't eat it? No. Why? Why?
5: Why would I eat it after I put it in the freezer? <laughs> right?
3: You put it in the freezer so you can eat it. But I think if you take it out, then it'd be kind of like mushy, right?
5: It wouldn't be mushy. It's really hard. But you would debate with yourself saying that, is this still okay
3: to eat? I have seen like the bride and groom like just going to town on the cake backstage. Because really? like they didn't get enough to eat. And then it's like, oh, oh there's leftover cake. Let's really? Yeah. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Anyway, so that's our uh, our wed- winter wedding edition of Feast Meets West. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fun. I enjoyed talking about that with you because you're Great. such a knowledgeable person, Ellen. You.
5: Thank you.
3: Many years of experience. Thank you. How many weddings have you hosted? You think ballpark. Twenty. 20? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's about right. That's yeah. pretty good. 20 weddings. There are people who do this as their whole job, and wow. they will have done like hundreds and hundreds of them. But wow. like, I think for somebody who's a professional host that doesn't focus on weddings solely, 20 right. is about right. Mm-hmm. I'm way at and not... one funeral. closer. Oh, no. <laughs> Two of those would be good, I think.
5: Exactly. I usually don't do funerals. Yeah, unless yeah. it's a
3: special It was yeah. like
5: specially requested and they kind of convinced me. Yeah.
3: Mm, that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard. That is yeah. another level altogether. Exactly. Uh, so thank you for joining us for today's Free Streets West If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Our address is P.O. Box.
5: One, two, three. Yep. Dash, 199, <laughs> Taipei, Taiwan.
3: You peeker.
5: Email us at androo at t dot dot w.
3: That's right. And join us next week on The Feast for our Christmas show.
5: Right. <gasps>
3: Helen Chu, my fa- one of my favorite shows of the whole year. Christmas. Would Santa be here? I don't know. Okay. Santa didn't come last year. Nope.
5: <laughs> Probably he gave you coal and he left.
3: That is right. Okay. As usual. This is Helen Chu. This is Andrew Ryan. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>